0: A warm holiday welcome to the penultimate episode of Blight Christmas 2 by Dead North. As always, this is Sean, your host. No one does spooky Christmas stories quite like the Brits, and so Oncoming Productions brings you this chilly little nugget of English terror, read by me. Enjoy! Someone in the Lift by L.P. Hartley There's someone coming down the lift, mummy. No, my darling, you're wrong. There isn't. But I can see him through the bars. At all, gentlemen. You think you can, but it's only a shadow. Now, you'll see, the lift's empty. And it always was. This piece of dialogue, or variations of it, had been repeated at intervals ever since Mr. and Mrs. Malden and their son Peter had arrived at the Brompton Court Hotel, where, owing to a domestic crisis, they were going to spend Christmas. New to hotel life, the boy had never seen a lift before and was fascinated by it. When either of his parents pressed the button to summon it, he would take up his stand some distance away to watch it coming down. The ground floor had a high ceiling, so the lift was visible for some seconds before it touched floor level, and it was then, at its first appearance, that Peter saw the figure. It was always in the same place, facing him in the left-hand corner. He couldn't see it plainly, of course, because of the double grill, the gate of the lift and the gate of the lift shaft, both of which had to be firmly closed before the lift would work. He had been told not to use the lift by himself, an unnecessary warning, because he connected the lift with the things that grown-up people did, and unlike most small boys, he wasn't over-anxious to share the privileges of his elders. He was content to wonder and admire. The lift appealed to him more as magic than as mechanism. Acceptance of magic made it possible for him to believe that the lift had an occupant when he first saw it, despite the demonstrable fact that when it came to rest, giving its fascinating click of finality, the occupant had disappeared. If you don't believe me, ask Daddy, his mother said. Peter didn't want to do this, and for two reasons, one of which was easier to explain than the other. Dad would say I'm being silly, he said. Oh, no, he wouldn't. He never says you're silly. This wasn't quite true. Like all well-regulated modern fathers, Mr. Maldon was aware of the dangers of offending a son of tender years. The psychological results might be regrettable. But Freud or no Freud, fathers are still fathers, and sometimes when Peter irritated him, Mr. Maldon would let fly. Although he was fond of him, Peter's private vision of his father was of someone more authoritative and awe-inspiring than a stranger, seeing them together, would have guessed. The other reason, which Peter didn't divulge, was more fantastic. He hadn't asked his father because when his father was with him, he couldn't see the figure in the lift. Mrs. Malden remembered the conversation and told her husband of it. "'The lift's in a dark place,' she said. And I dare say he does see something. He's so much nearer the ground than we are. The bars may cast a shadow and make a sort of pattern that we can't see. I don't know if it's frightening him, but you might have a word with him about it. At first, Peter was more interested than frightened. Then he began to evolve a theory. If the figure only appeared in his father's absence, didn't it follow that the figure might be, could be, must be, his own father? In what region of his consciousness Peter believed this, it would be hard to say. But for imaginative purposes, he did believe it, and the figure became for him Daddy in the lift. The thought of Daddy in the lift did frighten him, and the neighborhood of the lift shaft, in which he felt compelled to hang about, became a place of dread. Christmas Day was drawing near, and the hotel began to deck itself with evergreens. Suspended at the foot of the staircase in front of the lift was a bunch of mistletoe, and it was this that gave Mr. Malden an idea. As they were standing under it, waiting for the lift, he said to Peter, "'Your mother tells me you've seen someone in the lift who isn't there.' His voice sounded more accusing than he meant it to, and Peter shrank. "'Oh, not now,' he said, truthfully enough. "'Only sometimes.' "'Your mother told me you always saw it,' his father said, again more sternly than he meant to. "'And do you know who I think it may be?' Caught by a gust of terror, Peter cried, oh, "'Please don't tell me!' "'Why, you silly boy,' said his father reasonably. "'Why don't you want to know?' Ashamed of his cowardice, Peter said he did. "'Why, it's Father Christmas, of course!' Relief surged through Peter. "'But doesn't Father Christmas come down the chimney?' he asked. Well, "'That was the old days. He doesn't now. Now he takes the lift! Ha-ha!' <laughs> Peter thought for a moment. Will you dress up as Father Christmas this year, he asks, even though it's an hotel? I might. And come down the lift? Why, yes, that's what it's for. (laughs) After this, Peter felt happier about the shadowy passenger behind the bars. Father Christmas couldn't hurt anyone, even if he was, as Peter now believed him to be, his own father. Peter was only six, but he could remember two Christmas Eves when his father had dressed up as Santa Claus, and given him a delicious thrill. He could hardly wait for this one, when the apparition in the corner would at last become a reality. Alas, two days before Christmas Day, the lift broke down. On every floor it served, and there were five, six counting the basement, the forbidding notice, out of order, dangled from the door handle. Peter complained as loudly as anyone, though, secretly, he couldn't have told why. He was glad that the lift no longer functioned and he didn't mind climbing the four flights to his room, which opened out of his parents' room, but had its own door, too. By using the stairs, he met the workmen. He never knew on which floor they would be, and from them gleaned the latest news about the lift crisis. They were working overtime, they told him, and were just as anxious as he to see the last of the job. Sometimes they even told each other to put a jack in it! Always Peter asked them when it would be finished, and they always answered, Oh, Christmas Eve at the latest." Peter didn't doubt that. To him the workmen were infallible, possessed of magic powers capable of suspending the ordinary laws that governed lifts. Look how they left the gates open and shouted at each other up and down the awesome lift shaft, paying as little attention to the other hotel visitors as if they didn't exist. Only to Peter did they vouchsafe a word. But Christmas Eve came. The morning passed, the afternoon passed, and still the lift didn't go. The men were working with set faces and a controlled hurry in their movements. They didn't even return Peter's good night when he passed them on his way to bed. Bed! He had begged to be allowed to stay up this once for dinner. He knew he wouldn't go to sleep, he said, till Father Christmas came. He lay awake, listening to the urgent voices of the men, wondering if each hammer stroke would be the last. And then, just as the clamor was subsiding, he dropped off. Dreaming, he felt adrift in time. Could it be midnight? No, because his parents had, after all, consented to his going down to dinner. Now was the time. Averting his eyes from the forbidden lift, he stole downstairs. There was a clock in the hall. But it had stopped. In the dining room, there was another clock. But dared he go into the dining room alone? with no one to guide him and everybody looking at him? He ventured in, and there, at their table, which he couldn't always pick out, he saw his mother. She saw him, too, and came towards him, threading her way between tables as if they were just bits of furniture, not alien islands under hostile sway. Darling, she said, I couldn't find you. Nobody could, but here you are. She led him back, and they sat down. Daddy will be with us in a minute. The minutes passed. Suddenly, there was a crash. It seemed to come from within, uh, from the kitchen, perhaps. Smiles lit up the faces of the diners. A man at a nearby table laughed and said, "Uh, Something's on the floor. Somebody'll be for it. (laughs) What is it? whispered Peter, too excited to speak out loud. Is anybody hurt? Oh no, darling, somebody's dropped a tray, that's all. To Peter it seemed an anticlimax, this paltry accident that had stolen the thunder of his father's entry. For he didn't doubt his father would come in as Father Christmas. The suspense was unbearable. Can I go into the hall and wait for him? His mother hesitated, and then said yes. The hall was deserted. Even the porter was off duty. Would it be fair, Peter wondered, or would it be cheating and doing himself out of a surprise? If he waited for Father Christmas by the lift, magic has its rules, which mustn't be disobeyed. But he was there now, at his old place in front of the lift, and the lift would come down if he pressed the button. He knew he mustn't, that it was forbidden, that his father would be angry if he did. Yet he reached up and pressed it. But nothing happened. The lift didn't come. And why? because some careless person had forgotten to shut the gates. Monkeying with the lift, his father called it. Perhaps the workmen had forgotten in their hurry to get home. Well, there was only one thing to do. Find out on which floor the gates had been left open, and then shut them. On their own floor it was. And in his dream, it didn't seem strange to Peter that the lift wasn't there, blocking the black hole of the lift shaft, though he daren't look down it. The gates clicked too. Triumph possessed him. Triumph lent him wings. He was back on the ground level, with his finger on the button. A thrill of power such as he had never known ran through him when the machinery answered to his touch. But what was this? The lift was coming up from below, not down from above. And there was something wrong with its roof. A jagged hole that let the light through. But the figure was there, in its accustomed corner and this time it hadn't disappeared. It was still there, he could see it, through the mazy crisscross of the bars, a figure in a red robe with white edges, and wearing a red cowl on its head. His father, Father Christmas, Daddy in the lift. But why didn't he look at Peter? And why was his white beard streaked with red? The two grills folded back when Peter pushed them. Toys were lying at his father's feet. But he couldn't touch them, for they too were red. Red and wet as the floor of the lift. Red as the jag of lightning that tore through his brain. Dead North and Blight Christmas are oncoming productions created by Sean and Mallory Dillon with assistance from Hot Chocolate Media. Theme and interstitial music is by Eric Ostrom. We very much want to pay the artists that contribute to Dead North while covering our costs. We'd love your help in doing that. Go to oncomingproductions.com to sign up at Patreon to help sustain this podcast with even just $1 a month. Happy holidays. Tune in tomorrow. And stay safe out there.